Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Welcome back to the First Gen Hunter Podcast here another week, episode number 49, rolling right at you here. We're going to talk a little off-season archery prep. Yep, that time of year. On my way home from work today, I noticed a very sad thing. It's starting to get really green. Now, somebody might be like, Kent, what's your problem, man? It's good, right? Spring, spring is the sign of new life and all that. Yes, definitely, absolutely. But it also marks the end of shed season. Things are getting so green, you ain't going to be able to spot them any longer, folks. So uh, if you got any uh, last-minute shed hunting plans and you're, you know, I'm going to say south of like, uh, you know, maybe like central Wisconsin. Yeah, it's pretty much coming to an end now. It's all going to start greening up. Uh, all the grass is going to be starting to get about ankle, then knee high in just a couple weeks impossible spot those things you'll have to leave what's there until next year and uh, then there will of course be all the new antlers so i guess it's not so bad but it also means turkey season is right around the corner we're going to have some turkey season conversations coming up here really soon hopefully some stuff that can help some folks find some success and when i say that i'm talking about myself too you guys know that i am a total noob when it comes to hunting turkeys i have very little experience i just got out for the first couple times last year no dice but it sure was nice to get out and i'm hoping that my game plan's a little bit better this year and maybe uh i'll be able to um sink my teeth into uh some delicious turkey nuggets as soon as i heard about turkey nuggets i just haven't been able to shake that thought from my head anyways tonight's episode is archery off-season preparations as we get closer to the most wonderful time of the year which is deer season it's only six months away here technically a little bit less than six months away here in the great state of iowa i need to every archery hunter needs to you need to if you're planning to get out and do some archery hunting start getting ready to go by practicing by checking out your equipment not not just making sure that everything's still in working order, but maybe uh, making sure that you don't need to change some stuff up. Find a better rest. Find uh, maybe you uh, need to replace your strings. Maybe you need to um, find better arrows or better broadheads. Whatever it is, we got to look it over and we got to get it ready to go. And uh, I don't want to minimize the practice side of that either. And so we're going to talk about all those things in this episode tonight with Mr. Jeff Reed, who I would say is a true student of the art. The art of archery, we're talking. And uh, just a guy who has poured his life into it and, and really uh, has uh, done some cool stuff and, and taken his accuracy and his effectiveness in the woods to a very high level. And so uh, tuning in and, and hearing what he has to say is just going to be so much of a help to new archers and experienced archers. Um, and uh, I'm excited uh, to uh, see what that does for you and hopefully what it does for me because we all know I need some help anyways uh speaking that's that's just a great way to set up this next part i'm going to give you the tip of the day your archery tip of the day as i just said i need help uh and i do i need i have a long ways to go and i hope i have still many 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 years of great archery hunting ahead of me 
but so far I only have like really one legitimate year of archery hunting under my belt. And uh, so I'm not going to pretend to be some kind of expert. However, in my one year of, of uh, archery, um, really using archery equipment through practicing and, and did a lot of hunting. Um, here's some things that I learned. I'm going to give you two tips for this one. Okay. The first one, actually is going to get mentioned to some degree later in this uh, podcast. You're going to hear Jeff talk about it a little bit. And I think Brandon also brings it up a little bit. And that tip is not doing too long of practice sessions. And what do I mean by that? Well, if you are a former athlete or maybe even a current athlete, you know, they got all sorts of, uh, of, uh, you know, like grown men, basketball, and I think they still do some like uh, women's softball leagues and stuff for post-college, you know, career age people, that kind of thing, right? They even have this thing around me called deck hockey, which is just uh, glorified floor hockey, but outdoors. Anyways, maybe you're a current athlete, maybe you're a former athlete, or maybe you're a musician, something like that. Something that requires a lot of practice to master a skill. A lot of times when we learn those things, we get into this mindset of more is always better. And, uh, you know, that can be true from time to time, but as I get older, I start to see another phrase that uh, comes up <laughs> a lot more often, and that is sometimes less is more, and that is absolutely true when you're learning archery. You're going to want to get out there. You got this brand new bow. You got new arrows. Everything's new, and you're going to want to use it. You got even a new target that you want to start poking some holes in. Well, what's probably going to happen your first few times you go out is you know, shots one, two, three, and then around shots four and five, you start falling off a little bit, but those first three shots, your accuracy is actually probably going to be pretty decent. And that's because the muscles you use to pull back your bow, whether you're fit or you're uh, <laughs> a recovering couch potato, um, those muscles just do not get used very much together like they do when drawing a bow. Uh, they just, they're, they're just muscles that get, don't really see that kind of use in day-to-day -day living. And so uh, what's going to happen is after shot number three, probably you're going to start feeling a little bit of exhaustion. And uh, not only is it going to be a little bit tougher to pull your bow back effectively and safely and efficiently without torquing on your uh, rotator cuff and stuff like that in an awkward position, but also your other hand, the hand that really affects the accuracy, which is on the, uh, uh, you know, the, the handle on your bow, that, hand that that guide hand there is going to start to get a little shaky as well and uh, that's going to start shaking your pins or your uh, your sight on your bow and you're going to start seeing your shots kind of trail a little bit probably a little bit left right up down all over the place uh, from your mark and what that can do is cause frustration and for a lot of people who are getting into something for the first time, when they start to experience that frustration, they can get into the temptation of just letting it go and giving up on it and not enjoying it anymore. And then we don't, we don't want anybody to get to that point. So tip is keep it to like five shots when you're first starting out, just five shots. And after, you know, maybe two or three weeks of doing that, now you can start upping it to probably 10 shots. And as you build that strength, you're going to be able to eventually get yourself to that spot where you want to be, you know, where you can do these long, you know, 30, 35 arrow sessions in your yard and, uh, you know, just, just really be 
becoming a rock solid shooter uh, from a strength and endurance standpoint. So it, it just it's I know it's tough to do, but at first limit yourself to those shorter sessions. And the next one is every time you practice, find a comfort zone, and I would suggest at 15 yards. Okay, just just spend you know of your your shot allotment spend you know maybe maybe five of your shots shooting at that 15 yard target and just really becoming comfortable at that distance okay and the reason i say that is because if it is your first year of archery hunting you're going to want to have a window where you just feel really good about and if you can have that at 15 yards and then mix that in with the other just good hunting skills so we're talking playing the wind right masking your scent well um, picking a good tree to put your stand in or to stand under or whatever or um, you know just going to a place where deer are going to be during that time of the day that you're hunting if you can put that together and then have that 15 yard window there's a really good chance that you're going to get a deer to come within that range and if you've been practicing you know like I said maybe five of your practice shots all you know, off season long at that 15 yard range, and you just feel like you can, you can really put it on the money, then you're gonna, you're gonna be able to have a much better chance of performing in the moment. I'm not going to guarantee that it's going to work out. You might get buck fever and target panic and everything else when you see those antlers in front of you. But, uh, hopefully if you have that comfort zone like that, a lot of that will, uh, uh, go away and muscle memory will take over you'll send that arrow down range and hopefully be notching your tag so those are my two tips for you as a beginning archer jeff's got a whole lot more for you so let's go ahead and dive into it episode number 49 of the first gen hunter podcast thanks for tuning in Practice makes perfect. Well, technically, I think a more accurate saying would be perfect practice makes perfect. But, uh, you know, (laughs) nobody's perfect. (laughs) But, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, a a common parenting thing, Brandon, is uh, when you have kids, and Mm -hmm. I don't think either of us are to this point yet because our kids are still pretty young, but I bet your daughter's getting close. Uh, yes. you know, that's like, that's like something you, I think parents just make their kids do. They make them practice something, right. You know, uh, oh, whether yeah. it be a sport, whether it be uh, a musical instrument or, or you know, just mm-hmm. something. And, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really understand why, like, why are you, you know, why do you, why do I have to go out to the driveway and shoot free throws or, uh, you know, a big yeah. one, a big one, uh, when I was growing up was, uh, my dad really, uh, wanted, uh, myself and uh my brothers to uh get into like kicking and punting on our football teams we played on and uh we would (laughs) we'd kick footballs out in the yard we'd go to the we'd go to the high school field and and work on kicking and stuff but you know if i if i really had to put my finger on what is your most memorable practicing moments i played far more sports than i played music but my parents made me pick up the trumpet and uh, mm. try and uh, get me to learn the trumpet. And I, I will we'll say I held an instrument 
blew some air through it and pushed some buttons from seventh grade through 10th grade. And, uh, <laughs> 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 oh man, I was no, uh, Winston Marcellus or whoever the, uh, like world's best trumpet player is. I was terrible. I was mm. uh, beyond terrible. And, uh, <laughs> it finally, <laughs> it finally came to a, a glorious end in my sophomore year of high school. Mm. But, uh, no, man, practice, it's, it's something that, you know, uh, nobody really gets too excited about that word, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, it's interesting when you talk about it in the context of hunting and, you know, looking forward to what we're talking about tonight, because, you know, even sometimes even those things that you love, um, you know, you've got to be creative and you've got to be purposeful, um, in order to have successful practice, you know, and there, there's a lot of guys out there. I mean, you look at a lot of, a lot of guys and girls out there that, you know, maybe you know, we all, you know, have the misses. We all have, you know, the unsuccessful hunt sometimes, but, you know, a lot of it can be avoided. And what we're talking about tonight is preparation, you know, which is a common theme of things we've discussed a lot. You know, um, the more you prepare, the more you're setting yourself up for success. And uh, there's a lot of people that love the the moment, but, you know, not necessarily the preparation to get to the moment. And um, so looking forward to chatting tonight about that. And uh, hopefully, you know, coming up with ways that we can um, have more fun and more engagement to prepare better. So looking forward to it tonight. Yeah. You know, as always, Brandon, spot on, man. That's, uh, <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> it. And, and, um, you know, when, uh, we get to the end of this one, um, we were kind of joking before the call, this may be our most expensive episode ever, uh, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. we're gonna, we're gonna hear all this great stuff about archery setups and Jeff, mm-hmm. it correct me if I'm wrong here, Jeff, but, uh, you're kind of a, uh, a gear junkie. Would you agree with that? When it comes to archery, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you follow, if you follow Jeff on, well, on social media, on. the guy knows the stuff. He, he's the kind of guy who doesn't have to like stand there at the, at the counter at, you know, a sporting goods shop and like waffle around. He's already done the research. He knows exactly what he's going after. And so, uh, yep. Yep. I think, I think, uh, after we hear from Jeff on this one, Brandon and I, we were joking around. If we have anything left of our stimulus checks at this point, it might, uh, it might be gone. <laughs> but, uh, Jeff, thank you so much for being willing to come on the show. Uh, this has been something, uh, I've been really, uh, hoping to have happen for quite some time now. It's just, uh, when you're working schedules with, uh, three different people, it gets kind of tough to, to match everything up. But, uh, Jeff is a true student of archery and somebody who, who has uh, made it a big part of his life and one of his uh, most favorite things to do. That's very obvious. Just spend a few minutes talking with him. And, uh, uh, so we're, we're privileged to have you on the show tonight, Jeff. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Now there's some guys out there, I'm sure that, you know, they can pick up a bow and, and that's it. Meaning, that they don't have the urge to go hunting. They don't, they don't really, you know, want to do anything with it other than just get really good at target shooting. But I know that's not the case for you. You like doing the, the competition, uh, target shooting. We'll talk about that later, but, um, you're a hunter and, uh, you know, this being the first gen hunter podcast, we're, I'm, we're always real curious about how everybody gets their start into hunting. So mm-hmm. how did you, uh, end up getting into hunting? 
Um, it's just something that our family has done, right? Um, my generations and generations, um, huh. I was raised around, you know, from a little age of, you know what, we went squirrel hunting, right? That's probably mm-hmm. where my roots really started at a young age is grandpa yep. or my dad, um, taking me out and just trying to find those tree rats and, <laughs> um, you know, and just working on that and then going from, you know, that moving from that part, um, you know, hunting with my grandparents and my dad and then transitioning at a young age, still, um, hunting independently by myself, you know, on the family farm, Hey, I took, I'm going to go to this spot. I'm going to sit for so long and, Mm -hmm. you know, shoot a squirrel or two, and then I'll be back by seven o'clock in the morning for breakfast, grandma or whatever. Right. Hmm. And so that's, that's just what, yeah. you know, that's what I did. Um, I actually started hunting whitetail as the age of, well, I was in third grade. So oh, yeah, wow. pretty young, you yeah. know, um, was yeah. able to, to handle a 20 gauge at that point in time and started, started my track down chasing whitetails at that age. Wow. Um, so that's kind of where my roots start. Um, and then it transitioned as I gotten, uh, older, um, I got into, you know, turkeys when I was young, you know, I'm not gonna probably, I mean, I'm a little bit older, I think here in this, but there wasn't a lot of turkeys around Southeast Iowa, um, back in the early, you know, late eighties, early nineties. Um, so turkey hunting didn't come very popular, very, um, popular until the mid to late nineties. Okay. I would say early, mm-hmm. early 2000 when, you know, around 97, 98, maybe 99 is when the turkey population really took off here in Southeast Iowa. Hmm. Yeah. Now, so, now I didn't really have this written in, but this, this interests me because it is so recent. What was that like, you know, as being somebody who was already a part of hunting culture and, you know, kept his attention on the hunting world, was it kind of like everybody just jumped on that wagon all at once, once there was, you know, a, a real reasonable huntable population on the scene that every, was everybody and his brother out turkey hunting then, or was it kind of a gradual buildup? I think it was a, from what I witnessed it would have been more of a gradual buildup because you would just have, you would just have pockets of turkeys starting Mm. to populate. Right. And it wasn't, um, you'd see two or three and then there'd be areas where you'd see 10 to 15. So it just, and you know, when you think about, um, some of those later 2000, early, later 1997, 98, early 2000, we had some mild winters that probably helped the turkey mm. population. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's really interesting to get that perspective. Um, there's, you know, we're not being here in Iowa. And I actually just made a big uh, social media post yesterday for uh, first gen hunter pages about this book that I'm reading right now. Here I am talking about it again, Brandon. <laughs> uh, I, that's all. That's I awesome. actually read yeah. your post. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, we're not that, we're not that far removed from a time when hunting in Iowa 
was probably not really worthwhile, <laughs> you know, when mm -hmm. before deer were back in the abundance that they're in now. And, uh, you, you know, I suppose pheasants have been around for over a hundred years. I know my grandpa, uh, did just a, a tiny bit of pheasant hunting on his, his parents' farm growing up. But other than that, maybe there was some waterfowl along the, uh, Mississippi and Missouri, uh, rivers, but, Man, you know, no turkeys. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing here in Iowa, of course, being whitetails, which is really the context that we're, we're mostly going to be working in tonight. But, uh, mm -hmm. that's, that's another thing that, uh, Jeff does with his bow is you do a little, uh, turkey hunting, right? With your bow? Yeah. I've, um, let's see. I would strictly turkey hunt, uh, with the bow since 2009 on turkeys. Okay. Wow. So yeah, I haven't, I haven't gun hunt turkeys for a, quite a while. Yeah, yeah. In fact, this year I may have to just because of timing of everything and running and gunning them might be a lot easier than sitting in a double bowl blind and trying to get from you. So yeah, but. yeah, sure. Well, yeah. Let's kind of let's kind of start transitioning to that that part of the conversation now. So grew up hunting. Uh, sounds like you did quite a few different species, um, even, even worked in some small game hunting there. Uh, when did you decide to make this transition transition over to hunting with archery equipment? Uh, well, the, I guess my first experience with archery was young. I, I can remember in junior high, um, we lived on a small farm when I grew up as a kid. Um, sure. We'd get off the bus, and I had a Fred Bear recurve at that point in time. Nice. So no, no sights, right? No release. Mm -hmm. This is there's no, uh, you know, seventy percent let off once you get drawn back. So um, mm -hmm. I would shoot probably, you know, we had big round bales of hay for the cattle, and I would shoot. I would get a paper plate, basically, with the size of a pipe right and i would put a blue dot on that and i would go out and shoot for pretty much religiously once it was why it was warm so that was like yeah. when uh you know kind of the i guess the the interest of archery started then mm. after that high school started part-time job didn't have time for archery anymore um mm. full swing back to about 2005 because yeah there's a one buck that you guys didn't see hanging by me, but it's in another room. That would be my first non-typical archery kill, awesome. um, which was mm. in 2006. So um, 2006 was probably when I really started. I had started going down that rabbit trail probably in 2005, 2004. Mm. Um, but then that first, uh, that first kill with archery equipment, when he, when that, 12 point non-typical walks i mean literally right underneath your stand <laughs> yeah you an arrow through him that's that's all i mean it was a slam dunk at that point in time hmm. yeah so yeah that's awesome that that was that was the moment when you knew <laughs> you you have an you have an expensive problem on your hands <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah now in those early days did you and of course you know you're you're path to this point is totally different than mine because you know 
I I didn't start any of this until I was an adult. But right. uh, so maybe you already had so much of the stand, you know, hunting from from an elevated stand. Actually, no. Oh, really? So you did you start until, on the ground quite a bit? Oh, we completely gun hunted on the ground. So wow, we, okay, I, I, yeah. I mean, it was. I mean, it was a family thing, right? It was aunts or not aunts? Excuse me. It'd be my uncles, my grandpa, my cousins. I mean, we just mm-hmm. would go sit and then we would do a drive. So sure, yeah. We did a lot of that. I, you know, the normal Iowa gun season typical things. So sure, you know, I didn't have a clue what I was getting into as far as okay, well, I'll get this stand and I'll put it here, you know, and part of that may have been beginner luck to put it right along a trail that I didn't know was ultimately there because I put it out so early. Um, (laughs) but you know, um, and that may have, and that was the first buck that I've ever rattled in too. So that, I mean, it was, there was a lot of first on that on typical, um, yeah. The only sad thing was, was, was there was another bigger 12 that came in behind him. Not too <laughs> oh, much longer, but that, you know, that, that's, uh, that seems like to be the story for any hunter that you talk to. Like, you know, I shot this really good buck and then you happen to look over and like, oh, there's a bigger one there. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. But, um, <laughs> well, but hey. again, um, I'm not a complete person that completely hunts specifically for the how many inches of antlers sure right? um the trophy is on the eye of beholder so um right that's right i don't get onto this whole shaming thing if you only shot a 120 inch buck or whatever it's that may be the biggest buck that was on your farm that year you right know? Um, yeah now however if you shoot that 120 inch buck you can't get any bigger either right. so have to think about that too but, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't do any of the shaming things. It's just it's. There's a lot of reasons not to. So. Absolutely, man. Yeah. No, that's that's very well said. And you know what? I've been on the other side of that. Uh, <laughs> Brandon knows the story well. How uh, my 2019 uh, early muzzleloader season went, where I saw this nice buck, and then I looked out and I saw an even nicer buck. And then I looked out a little bit further, and I saw the cover of Field and Stream, and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah. I put it I put it all on the line for the cover of Field and Stream. And uh, uh, when it didn't work out, man, did I wish I would have gone for that first buck. <laughs> that first buck that was about <laughs> thirty yards. All <laughs> been there. Uh, but yeah, yeah, so sure. you're right. It's better to better to have meat in the freezer and. Uh, a tag no longer in your pocket than to uh, get mm-hmm. all caught up in the uh, trophy chasing game. But, you know, like you said, teach their own. And and uh, a young guy that we had on the show clear back at the beginning when we were running this podcast, uh, shout out to Mr. Nate Olson from Dorm Room Outdoors. He uh, yep. had that great phrase, if it's a tag to them, it should be, or if it's a tag, if it's a trophy to them, it should be a trophy to anyone. And uh, I think I think you're spot on there. And also from the quality deer management side of it, uh, if you want to have big bucks on your farm, you got to let them become that. So uh, yeah. there's there's nothing wrong with uh, deciding to pass on a, on a younger buck and, and giving them another couple years to mm-hmm. to uh, grow. And, you know, that's good for the gene pool on your farm as well. And so, right. so there's plenty of, plenty of, 
of good there with your philosophy that I 100% agree with. Well, tonight we're talking about how to get ready for the off season. Um, this is kind of a selfish episode because I, you know, I, I actually, uh, benefited from you. I don't know if you know this, Jeff, but, uh, uh, back in 2019, um, I went to actually back, try to back clean up on, uh, that, uh, giant buck that I took a shot at and I got word from the the guy who rents the farm that I was hunting him on that uh he uh, saw him hobbling around when he picked his last 10 acres of corn and mm. uh so I went out with I didn't have a bow so I uh Daniel McCoy uh who you uh mm. helped set yes. up with his old Matthews uh bow yeah. uh he loaned that to me and uh I went out and uh so I I, I officially got out with a bow um in 2019, yeah. I but how well that would affect. Though, <laughs> yeah, it was, wasn't set up for that me. Was what, by, that was the pre-Matthews adjustable cam or modular stuff. You had to buy, you know, you would have had to buy the specific cam just to get the right draw length. So <laughs> I'm sure there was nothing right. that was quite right about about it. I practiced with <laughs> it uh, several times in the yard, and uh, and I was I was hitting pretty consistent groups that at 20 yards with no pressure, of course. And, uh, thankfully, uh, I didn't, I didn't end up, uh, letting one fly because this last year I finally went and bought my own bow practiced, uh, like crazy from basically March till bow season and, uh, got everything, uh, you know, comfortable for me. I'm sure there's still a million things I do wrong, uh, which is why we have you on here tonight. And, uh, you know, I've now made it through a bow season and, uh, I want to know how to get myself ready to go in a much better way, uh, going into the 2021 archery season. So yeah. let's, let's start right there. Deer okay. season's over. You're putting, you're racking up your hunting bow for, for the last time of the year. What's the first thing you're doing to get ready for next year? Have you ever hunted out west or maybe thought about going on your first western hunt? Either way, you need to complete applications, navigate every state's processes, and actually end up getting a tag to go and complete your hunt. East to West Hunts with Alex Gruen is your one-stop shop to get the information you need to get the tags you desire to hunt the species of your choice where you want to hunt them. Alex scaffolds his services by offering simple deadline reminders and consultations for DIY hunters all the way up to the deeply involved premium plans that complete all applications and hunt plans for you. He will even send you waypoints on where to camp, hunt, and more if you have his hunt planning services. Memberships for the DIY hunter are as low as $8 a month if you are just getting started. Or if you are interested in getting more information, go over to www.alexgruen.com and check out the offerings. Or you can give Alex a shout via phone at 720-248-7181. And when you get there, be sure you use the code FIRSTGEN10 
on the website or reference this podcast when you give them a ring on the phone. If you do, you will receive a 10% discount on any service of your choice. Remember, that's www.alexgruin.com and mention the promo code FIRSTGEN10, all one word, F-I-R-S-T-G-E-N, the number 10, and receive 10% off any of Alex's services. started for next year before i even hang my bow up oh okay so right so um i would say right around um just to give i've been fortunate enough to know people um that have helped me with um you know because i have actually in my archery room here at home um for those that are listening i actually have my full full setup here at home um i have bow press aerosol Arrow vice or a a bow bow vice. My local, my closest shop is like 45 minutes to half an hour from me. So I've, Mm -hmm. um, I just don't want to be driving back and forth, you know, spending an hour driving just to go get something adjusted. So with the technology of YouTube and a lot of people that, um, you can look up anything and learn how to do stuff. And I'm fairly handy with it. So, and I've been, I've gone to a, a couple bow schools um, I, I can pretty much do my stuff, my own stuff. So, sure. um, but I've got, I've got my normal hunting rig. I have a backup hunting rig in case something happens during hunting season. I don't have to freak out about not having a bow when it's the prime of the rut. Mm-hmm. Um, and sure. so, yeah. um, and then on um, besides that, I actually have two target bows. So one is typically my indoor setup. So, um, probably around, Oh, like, you know, when they say you get through that lockdown phase and a lot of guys won't sit in a tree stand all day, um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's when I jump out of the stand and we either a, uh, come home and beat my head against the wall (laughs) or B it's time to get some reps in just getting back to the basics. So, um, I have about 10 yards in my garage that I can buy, um, they're like, uh, they, they're called three spot mini Vegas round, um, targets. So they're supposed to be the diameter of what you would shoot at 20. Um, however, Mm. you're shooting at 10 yards. So, um, I use, uh, those actually, first off, I actually just, um, I stair stepped down to this. So let me back up a little bit. I'll actually use a normal 20 phase three spot. Um, because that X is a little bit bigger at that point in time. And, sure. um, I just want to get into a normal health routine of drawing back, settling my pin and releasing an arrow. So I'll work on mm-hmm. a normal, uh, target face like that for, um, you know, maybe a week. And then I go down to that, that reduced size target face just because, um, you know, and this last year has been a weird year, and I'm sure that you've talked about this on previous podcasts that you guys have done. Um, but uh, typically, like we start seeing some local indoor um, 20 yard, 
three spot competitions happening. Um, mm-hmm. Usually they're just up north of Cedar Rapids in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Um, but you can go up there and that's where you, I mean, you get on the line, you're standing next to people and you are shooting 20 yards, three spot, right? So you're trying to get yeah. uh, 300 is the best score and 30 extras. So, um, and that's where you, A, you're going to get your practice for the off season and they've got different mm-hmm. classes, right? You don't just have to use, um, you don't have to have a target bow for this. You could definitely go with whatever hunting rig you have. Sure. Um, take your broadheads off. Um, and you put your field points on and you just use whatever you have for your hunting setup. So they have a class for that as well. So it's, you know, you don't have to go down the rabbit trail of buying all the gear, having a specific bow just to shoot this. Right? They've got the bow right. hunting class that you have that you can do. Um, and that's where, that's where a, you get to get the reps in because practice makes perfect and mm-hmm. aim small, miss small. Right. Another right. one. Yeah. Various things. So when you're trying to shoot an X at 30 yards or at 20 yards, excuse me, that's about the size of a dime, right? When it mm-hmm. comes down to 20 yards, you're going to aim small, miss small. So, um, there's a lot of things I work on pressure, right? Cause I'm standing at the line competing against other individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's, you can't, we only get maybe what one opportunity, two opportunities that, that you're going to draw back on an animal. Yeah. The time of uh, deer season and Turkey season. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to feel that adrenaline rush or that pressure any other time. That's so, a great point. Yeah. Great doing point. the indoors is going to, to allow you to do that. And then obviously as we get to warmer weather, like we're here in Iowa right now, we're what the, I don't know, 28th of March. So we're almost in March. We're still having that cooler weather. 3d season coming around the corner. So okay, yeah. do you find that the, the 3d shoots, does it, you know, do you find that like that adrenaline's pumping and kind of it, it, it you know, simulates like that, uh, that heart pounding type, type of setup that pressure type of setup when you're pulling back on a on a deer uh yeah i on a 3d shoot you can i think it whatever i mean there's a little bit more difference um in a 3d shoot because usually you're going with a bunch of buddies and then it's a friendly yeah. competition at that point in time where yeah when you're actually doing an indoor paper target i know it's not a deer but you have somebody that Maybe you don't know is shooting in the yeah. at the line next to you, and mm-hmm. you can be competing with that. I mean, or you just try to compete against yourself to be better than the yes. last shoot that you've done too, right? So yes. you put that pressure on you to be better than you did the last shoot. Um, but yeah, yeah, there, yeah. I, I think that the greatest aspect for three D shoots is, and this is how we. I did a lot of them early on in the, the when 2007, 2008, 2009, um, there was, we would, a buddy of mine would go and yeah, we would compete against each other. But I think that more importantly, le- let me learn how to judge yardage. Um, we right. would get to the stake and we would look at the target and not always are they white tailed deer. I mean, there's the javelina, mm-hmm. there's coyotes, there's, 
you know, the bears, all those type of things on these just local 3D shoots. And you're looking through timber, you know, just like you would be from in the deer stands. But um, we would, you know, okay, what do you think the yardage is? And then we would pull back, shoot, and just to be, you know, consistent. And then we would actually have a rangefinder with us and we would range it to see, um, okay, that truly is 35 yards or no, that's yeah, 33 yards, right? With the, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. Or, oh wait, that's actually only 25, but this large little dip ravine that, uh, they set that up there gives the illusion that it's actually 30, you know, it's, we thought it was 35 yards and now it's only 25 yards. So that's the other benefit of just going to your local 3d shoots. You get to do yeah. a lot of yardage judging and, you know, most of them don't care if you have a, um, it's not like the pro shoots where you can't, you know, they uh, you can't know the yardage. Of course, now they do have a class for the known pros. Um, but y- you can, you don't, you don't have to worry about, you know, you can range it afterwards or whatever. So it's a good yeah. tool to use. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point with the yardage estimation and, you know, just kind of putting yourself in more scenarios where you have to estimate that. And it's amazing how you can improve in that area if you just, and, and honestly, you know, you go, that goes back to what we were talking about a little bit before, you know, that's, that's something that's fun. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're in a shoot, you're a competition and you're, you're learning, you're growing and you're having fun all at the same time, which makes it stick even, even more. Right. And like I said, 3d shoots, those are fun too. Cause you could like, okay, you and a buddy could be there. Hey, if whenever buys lunch or whatever when you get back to the around the course you know or something like that just to add a little bit more fun and pressure to it um yeah yeah there you go i mean you think about some guys that play golf they they bet like you know a dime around you know a dime a hole or whatever i mean sometimes yeah higher than that right but i you know hey Mm-hmm. winter buys lunch right it may be a right hot dog and a sure do but you're still gonna have to pay something if you're not <laughs> yeah you know, right so that's what we've done in the past so yeah very that, cool that's a great yeah, point so, adding that competition factor in there just to because it is so true i found that this year i did have the privilege to draw my bow a few times uh during archery season this year and man you can i can see how people become a mess you know i've heard of people like literally uh their mind not that they like pass out but they have like that blackout target panic moment and i gotta think that engaging in that competition just helps you reconcile with, <laughs> with the adrenaline dump that you have going on at that time. You're yeah. able to, you're able to, that's not going to go away and it shouldn't because that's what makes us keep coming back for more. But, yeah. but yep. learning how to still perform while that's going on, you know, while your hands are shaking, while your vision might be getting a little uh, blurry because your pupils are dilated <laughs> and, and everything else, yeah. you know, and you're, you're hypoventilating. Just... So yeah. your oxygen levels down. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Your knees are, I can, I can still remember that first non-typical. I still think my knees were knocking so hard. He should have been able to hear me, but it, <laughs> it wasn't true. Right? No, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a really good tip. Well, I, I do want to get into the the competition side of this, uh, maybe a little bit more in this this uh, conversation here, but but kind of moving in this direction of, you know, still we're we're right into the off season. Is there any bow maintenance stuff that you're jumping on right away? 
Um, depends on what weather you've sat through, right? Sure. Um, obviously, um, from a hunting perspective, bow, um, I'm going to make sure my string is well waxed. Um, mm-hmm. Check to make sure that I did, you know, if I sat through rain or if I sat through snow, um, does my bow need to be, you know, wiped down? Do I need to make sure there's a couple, you know, does anything need to be greased? Most of the bows today have sealed bearings, so there's not sure. much to worry about. Um, but, you know, I just go through some general maintenance, you know, and then yeah. uh, I'm, you know, the, it, I think it depends on the year. It depends on, uh, for me too, I know, um, depends if we have all the crops out of the field while I'm trying to work a full-time job and <laughs> trying to help farm and try to hunt. So, um, right. you know, my, how much time did I get to sit in the stand or, or whatnot? But, um, from, yeah. you know, that's basically it, right? If, unless, you know, did I have, did I somehow accidentally slide my broadhead next to, um, my string and I noticed that I've got a little bit of a cut. Mm. Okay. Well, maybe mm-hmm. I, I maybe need to, maybe time for me to order a new set of strings. Right. Right. And, yeah. And, uh, okay. So the bow is going to have to sit for a while until my strings come in. So, mm. um, all those type of things. Right. Um, yeah. and then, you know, after that, you know, um, right around two thousand, right around the first of the year, you see a lot of new product launch. Um, for the, the, you know, there's usually the ASA show or when the ATA show, excuse me, mm-hmm. our free trade association show that's, uh, usually around Indianapolis or it moves around a little bit, it's been in Kentucky. Um, that's when, you know, your social media blows up for all those companies <laughs> that you like, yep. uh, for your archery stuff. Yep. Uh, they start seeing all this new stuff that comes out. So that's kind of when you want to start looking at it and reviewing it and, seeing if it's something you want to play with because once it starts getting warm, like we are getting very close to Kent here in Iowa. Yep. Um, we're about a week away. Right. Um, in fact, just a week or so ago, I built up some new 3d arrows so that I'm ready to go when it warms up a little bit, but that's where you, you want, you know, pro. So from January to now, this would be the time Well, I want to buy, you know, here's that stimulus money. Go <laughs> buy that part or that, that new equipment. Sure. And that mm-hmm. way you can play with it, right? The other thing, though, is too is yeah. go to your local archery shop, look at it. They may have it mounted on a bow already, a demo bow. Yeah. You can shoot it, try it out from a demo perspective before you go drop four hundred dollars on a new archery site right. or you know a new gizmo um, that is part of the archery world. So, um, you know, there's those are the uh, that would be my other. Uh, thing I would want to talk to first generation hunters specifically is just don't necessarily go out and buy it. Go to your local hmm. uh, local shop, see yeah. if they carry it, see if they have it on a demo bow. If it's you know a new rest or a new site, and give it a couple shots to see if you like it or not. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, good. That's a that's a and that's a great transition point right there. Um, because that's that's something that I think can be one of the most overwhelming things for first gen hunters is there is just so much gear out there and every every uh, 
every company, and that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to sell stuff, right? But they're <laughs> they're telling you they yep. they got what you need, and right. uh, you know one one tip I would add in there too is see what your buddies already have and uh, try out their yep. stuff. You know, give give uh, yeah. I think yeah. I think uh, that's where the community of hunting can really we can really help each other out is you know, Hey, once you come get, give this a try, you know, or, uh, see if you like these arrows, you know, before you, like you said, you spend all that money on them and then find out that's not really what you needed. So that's a, that's a good point. But, you know, when, like you said, you own several bows and I think that's a, that's a smart thing that, you know, I'll be looking into as I rack up more years of, of experience under my belt and start looking at needing a, you know, needing to upgrade a, to a new bow or something. But when does that kind of like start creeping into your mind, not just from like a, Ooh, I just got this uh, government check <laughs> type creep into your mind, but like, <laughs> like what kinds of things are you seeing with your bow or maybe even, maybe even seeing with yourself, like maybe you, uh, uh, you know, maybe you're changing something or you're noticing like maybe your, your bow's getting a little hard on your shoulder or something or, you know, whatever. When are you starting to look at, you know what, I need to, it's time to pull a trigger on a, on a new bow here real soon. Um, well, I usually don't buy the newest bows. Sure. <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, one, just pure cost. And I think they're um, nothing against local archery shops. I try to support my local ones when I can. Uh, I just can't go buy a flagship bow right. you know, that's $600 every year. When I pull the trigger on them, when I see a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and if I, and if I, had money, um, that would be the only time. Um, and then, then my, there's, this is the transition too. So, uh, my hunting bows are 60 to 70 or, um, I do actually have the Matthews BRX from last year that I can pump up to like 75 pounds. But, um, but anyway, so, my target bows though, on the other hand, are 50 to 60. Sure. So I'm automatically dropping, you know, that 10 pounds down, um, in max holding weight. Um, when I, when I get to actual doing target stuff, um, oh, that's and then a good I tip. can even go down lower too. But then as we swing through, you know, and, and we may get to this a little bit later, but I'm going to hit on now. So like around September, that's when you're going to want to start picking up that hunting bow and start you start at a lower poundage and then you're going to slowly work it back up to whatever max you know and i will tell you and i will say this now in this just because it's 70 pounds doesn't mean you have to shoot the 70 pound max yeah right? mm -hmm. uh, yeah don't pull anything that you're uncomfortable with the technology in bows today you could sit there with a 45 pound bow and blow through a deer with the right broadhead and the right arrow set up all day mm -hmm. right yeah he doesn't kill accuracy does so, that's, that's a good phrase i like that and uh you know and that's really the reason that i've gone down this act the this rabbit hole of archery as deep as i have because i want to be able to shoot a dime at 20 yards mm -hmm. not yep. every tree and and that's and i i have friends that we talked about this and 
I'm, that is me. Now, a friend of mine, he may, he may be okay with shooting a group of six inches at 20 yards. Sure. Because he's, that's okay for him. But for me as individual, I usually try to practice on a target and I'll take my 3d targets and put a red or an orange sticker on there. That's the size of a dime or a little bit more. And that's where the vitals would be. And that's what I drive to. They've always said, and I've read it and read it in different, so many different magazines, bow hunting magazines, where they talk about when you pull back and draw on an animal that you want to focus on like that one little single hair on that right behind the shoulder, or you envision a red dot right behind that shoulder. Yeah. That you practice that way, you know, oh, you know, I pull back. Okay. This is where my orange dot should be now. I'm not a professional and I could be telling somebody that and somebody could say, I'm just totally saying something wrong, but it has helped me to, um, want to be more accurate and shoot a dime at 20, um, on a regular basis. Sure. I think that's, I think that's really smart to practice that way because that gives you that confidence, which again, I think is another tool you want on your side when that adrenaline is, is, is pumping and, and you're, uh, you're just trying to keep your composure so you can get a clean shot off and having that, yeah. having that, con- that confidence of like, Oh man, I've, I've hit this shot so many times. My group is the size of a dime. Um, all I got to do is mm-hmm. wait for him to stop walking. Give me that beautiful quartering away shot and and run it right through them you know and and uh if you don't have (laughs) if you don't get to that point i'm not saying you can't go hunting because like you said you got you know you might have a friend who's comfortable at six inches and certainly there's there's a six inch you know radius on a deer that's even bigger than that probably that uh you're gonna you're gonna get a nice clean uh you know dead and within a hundred yard shot and yeah and uh but again work striving for that thing and and really that's hunting too you know is if you if you really want to continue to enjoy it more you're going to want to have that little bit of competition in your brain that keeps that keeps pushing you forward and that's what's going to make you a better hunter a more um you know, technically sound hunter and a hunter that doesn't have a lot of heartbreaking blood trails to, <laughs> to follow in their career. So I think that's, I think that's a really wise thing that you do there. Well, what about all the accessory stuff? Do you, um, do you start looking at new sites or, or arrows or even broadheads or, or maybe a rest or anything like that? Maybe even a stabilizer during uh, the off season? Um, yeah. Well, Usually, I don't. Once I get the most the way I want it, I don't change much. Sure. Unless there's yeah. something I'm I'm unhappy with. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, and I kind of always go with this feature of habit. Um, when it comes to my hunting bows, I use a certain rest. When it comes to my sights, I have a certain brand of sight that I like. Mm. Um, and and I have a certain brand of or length of stabilizer. Um, I guess where I start experimenting more than anything, and, and this is probably more of down me being further down a career uh, in archery, is I 
start working with different releases. Okay. That's interesting. Um, because if I have a site that I like, I'm, I don't need to change it. Right. And if right. my arrow rest is yeah. working, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, right. right. But, um, when it comes to releases though, um, I had, and I think every probably, I can't, I don't think I've never met an archery, uh, or an archer that hasn't dealt with target panic. I, I can't shoot a finger or a index finger release um, sure. because I will just slap the living snot out of that trigger. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. So, um, I, I'll, I play with, I have some thumb, uh, activation, uh, releases. I have some tension activation, activated releases. And then I also actually do have hinge releases, um, that I, that I choose to, go back and forth with because it, that way of getting some different repetitions and surprise releases. And so I don't anticipate, I keep my brain kind of jumping around on that. Now, when it comes to hunting season, I will use a thumb button release 10 out of 10 times. I, sure. won't, I won't veer from that. So, um, mm-hmm. but during the off seasons is when I grab my other releases and I work through those. Um, sure. um, if, if there's, let's say, you know, um, obviously, uh, beginning of season, you know, um, probably about July, I would say for your hunting setups somewhere in there, you'd want to probably buy a new dozen arrows. Um, I yeah. take six of those and I will set them. I will, I will, I will do everything the same. Um, and I'm a, I have a certain process that I do through arrows. Um, and I think Ken and, and I have had this conversation, but not every arrow shoots the same out of the every right. bow. Um, yeah. So my process is, is that I've got, um, my draw length is not going to change really drastically. So I have three, I have three arrows, um, that are, um, when you look at an arrow spline chart, um, you know, if you guys know what I'm talking about, yeah. We yep. look, okay. So, um, it yeah. says I might need a 300 grain arrow, mm-hmm. but, um, the next one above that would be, well, let's go back. Let's go back up a step. I need 350. Then I, w- I could go up to 300 or I could go to a 400 spline. So there's those three splines. So I'll actually yeah. take three splines. Um, and Lancaster archery is really good. Um, they're in Pennsylvania, but you can actually just order, uh, a certain amount of quantities of arrows. You don't have to order a half a dozen or a full dozen. Oh, nice. So mm-hmm. Good good to know for these new guys. Um, yeah. But what I do is I'll get two 300s, two 350s, and two 400s. And I'll cut okay. them to my length. I'll cut them to my length. I will fletch one of the 300s, one of the 350s, and one of the 400s. Um, and then leave the other ones bare. Okay. We'll tape some weight on the end of it to simulate that there's a fletching on that end. Okay. Um, so that I have the same weight of arrow and then I shoot it to see how it performs out of that bow. Um, mm. and because sometimes I have found that, and this is through friends of teaching me stuff, but I can find that it may tell me on the spline chart that I should shoot a 350 at a, out of a 70 pound bow. And mm-hmm. that arrow shoots 
does not shoot true out of that hmm. setup, right? So, um, and so then I would, it could be the 400 or it could be the 300. Um, so I just use those as a, like an indicator, but after yeah. I have that done initially with my, with my, that bow and I know which arrow it likes the best, well, then I go over to my other, my full dozen of that arrow after I've done a, you know, quite a few testings and it's usually at 20 yards. I can tell by 20 or at, at 20 yards, which arrow it's going to, um, shoot the best bare and fletched. And then, then I'll buy that dozen arrows and I will build those. And then I'll take six of them and I'll put them off the side. And the six, yeah, of okay. those, those six will be ultimately become the hunting arrows that I put in my quiver come October. Um, or the end of October. Um, and the other six are the ones that I use to practice with it because they should be identical, right? I weigh everything. They're all I yeah. same weight or within a couple grams. Boom. And we're ready to go. Consistency. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, that's, that's, that's awesome. a great that's, tip. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really helpful. Yeah. Cause I wonder that, you know, I've, and even going into this next season, I know I need to do something a little different with my arrows and I'm, you know, I've just been thinking about it. It's like, how can I do this in a reasonably <laughs> cost effective way yep. to, right. to, uh, really make sure that I'm shooting the right thing. And I'm not just shooting a good deal, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. I mean, and you're going to shoot, uh, I mean, you got to go through weigh-in transfer or archery, like I said, and you, they, they're online. Mm -hmm. they, they can send you a catalog. Um, but yeah, ultimately you're going to end up buying six arrows that first go round. Um, you know, once you look at the spline chart, what arrow you want, 350, okay, look at the above, look below within your draw, whatever your draw length is and what your draw weight is. And then just go from there. Cause you're going to, I mean, nine times out of 10, I, I, I wouldn't say that the spline charts are always right, but I have seen mm -hmm. where, um, you know, that bow does just like to shoot that other arrow just a little bit better. And mm -hmm. what I mean by better is, is that the impact on the arrow or the impact on the target, if that arrow yeah. is going straight in, you know, and the tail's not kicked left or kicked right or tail high or tail that low, um, mm -hmm. then you know, you've got a true flight straight coming out of the target. And there's no yeah. variation in that arrow. Um, yeah. You know, that's the spine that you, that you want. Yeah. I just use the, you know, the fletched and non-fletched to, to verify those. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. That's a great point. Okay. Well that, uh, that kind of takes me to our, our next point here, which is you're getting, uh, you're getting set up got your arrows picked out you you see that either a you found a good deal on a new bow <laughs> or you uh your, your other ones working just great strings are good um you like you said you're you're basically eliminating variables by if it ain't broke don't fix it and for i mean for the other stuff for the rest and for the mm -hmm. sight and stabilizer but now it's time for broadheads maybe you're Maybe there's a new product that rolled out at the ATA show. Maybe um, you just maybe you shot a deer or two 
last season and you were just not satisfied uh with with the performance you know hopefully you got the you, you know you were able to wrap your tag around the deer recover it and everything but but maybe there was just something about it like maybe you were shooting mechanicals and they didn't open up right or maybe your uh, fixed blade was darting through too much and not doing enough damage to really give you a good blood trail whatever the 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 reasoning is you're looking at new broadheads do you have any rules of thumb you go by with that well a lot of it is is that if it i said if it don't if it's not broke don't fix it but uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah but uh no i in fact uh last year i did actually change um i was shooting in one expandable brand um had really good luck with it over the last seven eight years um sure but you know thought i started uh you know someone hey you need to try these or uh, a friend of mine posted a video of what one did the year before on facebook and then it made you start scratching your head so um <laughs> right yeah uh, maybe my broadhead yep. wasn't as good as it was but again mm. if it's not broke don't fix it but uh, I mm-hmm. did end up going down the rabbit hole of broadheads last year. So I just look at, you know, what are, what's the, is it a two blade? Is it a three blade? Um, what's the benefits of, you know, what's my penetration going to be like? If the, what's the length of the blade? Um, a key one though, and I, uh, for every, especially for first generations is find a broadhead company that also produces a practice one. That, mm-hmm. um, because yeah, that way too. you're not going to go spend because guys let's face it broadheads are about 10 bucks a piece when it boils down to it a little bit more yeah. because it's 30 bucks yeah. yep. or 37 dollars for a three pack right um yep. yeah. so see if you can get practice broadheads um that either they provide with it or if they yep. sell it separately on their website we can buy a package of three for uh, a third of the cost um, mm-hmm. of the actual broadhead because you sure. don't want to have to replace blades or loot. I mean, if you're practicing and no, right. something happens and yeah. that arrow goes gone, right? Or, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, hey, I've been in this archery rabbit hole for years and there's still every once in a while that some, I lose focus or whatever and boom, arrow's gone, you know? So I'm not yep. hurt. Um, so but you don't want to lose $30 worth of a broadhead or, you know, a complete arrow build. Um, yeah. Gone. Yeah. Get practice broadheads and use those because most of them are going to fly true in accuracy. If you buy good quality broadheads, they're going to give you a good quality practice head um, that'll allow sure. you to get your stuff dialed in for um, shooting broadheads. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But, I mean, I can't I, agree more with you on that. I mean, I, I know this this year was my first year in in actually using practice broadheads, and I mean, man, it was like what a difference maker. I mean, man, it just was, and the kind of same thing like you were saying, like you know, I got a pack of three with the one practice and getting got a couple of those, and man, it made all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and you said it well, Jeff. Every time an air, you know, an arrow doesn't work out somehow, whether you lose it or it breaks or whatever, yeah, that's an expensive, that's an expensive uh, 
piece that's that's gone right there you know when you yeah. especially when when you're doing what you do where you are i believe you order all the components separately and build your arrows from scratch basically right yeah there's i i have a little bit more science into my arrows too so there's a little sure. bit ballistically i put a 75 grain brass insert in the front of my arrows just to give a little bit more bone crushing punch but nice that stuff i've learned and 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 I also have a, yeah, there, there's a lot of science that goes into building my, the arrows that, uh, I, and I've been fortunate to learn from, you know, I got a, a really good friend that lives in Iowa city uh, named Rod White. Um, that name, I think Kent, you know, Rod, at least follow oh, him yeah, on yep, social I, media. Yeah, so, I, yep. Um, so I've followed him for several years now. Yeah. yeah so I've been fortunate to know him. And to learn a lot of the wow. processes that he's been doing for mm. years. So when it comes to tuning and to building arrows and stuff like that. So I know I didn't ask permission to use his name before today, but I think he'll be all right with it. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's a pretty cool guy. Yeah. That's a, that that's a page, everyone listening. That's a page looking up on Facebook and following. There's, I mean, there's a lot of just good info, but also, uh, he posts a lot, he posts a lot of I, I just I'm chuckling because I thought of that uh, video that he posted this year when that little buck like uh, oh, came up to him and yeah. made friends with it's him. Little, <laughs> that was the craziest thing. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then he's actually working on now. I think he was posted on social media that he's thinking about doing some uh, like hinge cutting deer management, how to help with your timber types mini podcast. Okay. Yeah. Coming up, I think. Um, so. Uh, I know I saw that here the other day. So, yeah, yeah, really, really cool stuff there. A lot of fun to to watch, and he's an Olympic gold medalist too, I believe, right? That and, is uh, correct for archery. Yep. Wow, so, yeah, he's he he knows the stuff that's for sure, and he's a big time hunter too. Unless you have existed in an unconscious stupor or on a different planet for the past year, you have probably suffered from the COVID-influenced supply chain disruptions. Toilet paper, ammunition, hunting equipment, and fishing lures suddenly became scarce for those who needed them the most. And that's how Steel Custom Baits was born. Founder and avid tournament bass angler Matt Steele noticed the need and began pouring plastic baits for himself and eventually started selling thousands of his custom-made baits to folks around the U.S. Steele Custom Baits is currently pouring 5-inch stick baits, the Terry Scroggins designed 3.25-inch Big Show Punch Bugs, 10-inch Worms, 4.25-inch Rocket Craws, and their inventory will be growing in the very near future. All baits are sold in packs larger than what you will find in most stores, with packs coming in quantities of eight or more. If you don't find the exact color scheme you are looking for, send Steel Customs a message and share with them the idea that you have in mind, and they can make your color come to life in your own personalized bait. Bass season is heating up, and Matt has already won one tournament and taken home the bronze and another all while exclusively using his own custom baits. To load your own tackle box up with some steel custom baits, go to their Facebook page, 
Steel Custom Baits, that's S-T-E-E-L-E, Custom Baits, and send them a direct message there or on their Instagram page, which can be found at Steels Fishing. Steels Fishing is offering a discount for First Gen Hunter podcast listeners. All you have to do is mention that you are a listener of this podcast and you will receive 10% off your first purchase. So get yourself over to Steel Custom Baits and fish the colors you truly want. Fish confident. Let's let's start talking practice now for as far as hunting goes. We've talked a lot about the the 3D setup and and you know maybe we, maybe we should just kind of put a bow on that right now. Um, maybe define a few terms here because there, it, I mean, first gen hunter podcast. There yep. could be people listening in that, that they have no idea what we're talking about 3D archery, which is totally fine. I didn't know either until just a few years ago. <laughs> but uh, uh, it and it wasn't what I thought. I thought it was purely um, competition archery on these three dimensional targets that. I mean, so when you go to like a, a Cabela's or a Bass Pro or a Shields or whatever. And you see, you know, on the shelf, you know, a big box and it'll have a picture of like a foam deer and it'll say like shooter buck target, you know, that's what we're talking about as far as 3D targets go. But I thought it was the 3D shoot just meant, oh, that's a competition like you see aired on ESPN every once in a while or something, you know, which it can be, but Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Anybody can go do a 3D shoot without it being a competition. You can go, you can go to basically an outdoor archery range a lot of time. Although I would imagine, Jeff, that there's a fair amount of indoor 3D um, um, ranges for people to. Actually, well, I know there's one here in the Quad City. There's area one in that the Quad can, Cities, um, and I think the next closest one is I think I don't think it was called Echo Valley or something. It's up north, about two hours north of. Uh, Iowa City, Sea Rapids area that does a indoor oh, okay. 3D. Um, I think they, yeah, I, I can't remember. I think I follow them on social media, but um, I haven't been to that one because it's always during the winter and it seems like we always have bad storms on the weekends that mm-hmm. you'd want to <laughs> yeah. go to that event. So right. I'd yeah. just rather stay home and drive two hours or a two-hour drive that turns into six hours because of bad weather or something. So, yeah, right, right. No, that's a, that's a good point, but but yeah, so it's basically just these, and and there's all kinds of different versions of these targets, and Jeff kind of talked about that earlier. You know, it's not just deer. You know, they have raccoons, they have skunks, they have uh, they have the Velociraptor, which I think is kind of the Reinhardt uh, mm. 3D. T- they're probably one of the top 3D target companies out there, and that's I think that's actually their like logo is their their 3d velociraptor target um i mean just anything you can think of but they're they're the outdoor ranges i gather are more popular because you can make these things you know look like an animal out in the out in the woods or out in the field or something like that Mm -hmm. um, and, and jeff even if you're not competing i've heard people say that having that experience at a range like that it does up the pressure a little bit and make the practice seem a little more lifelike would you agree with that oh yeah um in fact i've got what i've got uh, 
three deer, a turkey, and an elk here at my house alone. So, um, but it, and I actually, it, when you can, um, especially like that July time frame, August, when you're practicing for your fall, I have a, I have a ladder stand in my yard that I shoot. Yeah, from perfect. I shoot from an elevated position, so yeah, um, that 3D target is not going to. It's going to be very beneficial for you, even though it may not. You know, if you have a tree in your yard that's less than that 20 yards away, go put the deer and and have it half the vitals covered up by the you know tree or something, right? Yeah. That, yeah, kind of yeah. gives you that realistically. Now, going out to a 3D range, um, yeah, you can't. You're actually, you're absolutely right. Where you're going to get more of that realistic in that scenario, being the the woods and judging your yardage and knowing how far. However, not every shot is going to be in from an elevated position, like you would oh, typically sure. yeah. in our stand hunting for whitetails. Um, when it comes to archery season. So, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. They do give you some of those shots, but they're not always right. going to that. So, um, you know, and also for everybody, um, even practicing in your front yard or in your backyard, and even in your ladder stand, please wear your safety harness, right? Because we're still... Yeah, yeah right? definitely. So... Um, definitely, absolutely. Just, just because you're practicing doesn't mean... And that helps too, right? How do you interact with your harness? Practicing yeah, right. Yard, right? Okay, so if Great I turn point. this way, have to shoot behind a tree, well, wait, mm-hmm. I can't turn this far, right? So you'll learn yeah. a lot of stuff by doing even simple things by wearing your harness mm-hmm. in a tree. So. Yep, yeah. And, and a tangled up harness when you're running 20 minutes late on, uh, you know prime rut time and uh it's dark out and you're pulling your stuff out of your tub out of the back of your truck and you're clumsy with getting that harness on because you haven't put it on since last year you're gonna be driving yourself crazy and you're gonna be making noise possibly with it i mean there's just so many advantages to to getting it out beforehand and getting comfortable Mm -hmm. with using it and and uh it being a you know just a standard piece of your equipment, and even when yep. the, I'll throw this in too, I know it's it could be July and it could be ninety out, but put some of your hunting on layers on, and learn be able to shoot with hunting layers on too. Yeah, right. Because I've heard people suggest your, that. Yeah, yep, it's going to change your anchor points, right? Yep. My draw length on my hunting bow is shorter than it is on my target bow because my yeah. hunting bow, I have more clothes on. Yeah, mm, good point. Great point. Right? So I'm yeah. about 29 and a half to 29 inch draw length when it comes to my hunting bows. I'm a 30, a 29 to 30 inch draw length or a little bit more on my target bows. So there's a half to a, a full inch difference in my draw length, just depending, depending on what bow it is because of the yeah. extra layers I'm going to have on. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah, and honestly, you know, even even I mean, I love everything that that you're saying, and you know, even from the standpoint, if you look at even just using technology, you know, from the standpoint of you know, film yourself shooting. Yep. I mean, you know, you're able to get you know, look and 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 notice points of consistency or inconsistency. Um, you know, even just just some couple couple ones that I found really helpful. You know, 
um, most shot opportunities, you mean they're, they're coming, you know, they're coming at, at, at dark, close to dark. And yet, you know, mm. a lot of guys, you know, they're, they're out shooting at, uh, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday. I mean, which, which is great. I mean, shoot, you know, shoot when you can, you know, make it consistent, but, you know, also take that time to get a practice session in the last 30 minutes of, of shooting light, you know, and the first and, 30 you know, get, minutes of shooting light. And for, yeah, there you go. That's true too. Good point. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, just kind of sounds, sounds crazy, but like even doing something like, you know, we were talking about the, um, 3d shoots or the, or the, you know, competition shoots and how that kind of simulates kind of a live experience. And I mean, you know, I, I've, I've been blessed to have some opportunities at some great bucks, but I mean, I, if I was sitting out in the woods right now and I had a big buck coming up to me, I mean, I, my heart would be pounding, um, which is obviously a huge reason why we keep doing it. And so, you know, even doing something where you're kind of creating some pressure, maybe you, maybe you do a quick sprint and then, you know, st- you know, shoot a little bit, you know, you're just yes. creating that, that type of setup where, you know, you're, you're putting yourself in that situation where your heart is beating, you're pounding, you know, and then maybe you mix that with some technology where you're kind of watching your consistency with those types of things. Um, and then, you know, too, I knew, um, Jeff, like you were mentioning earlier too, um, you know, being able to use your, your bow at different times of the season. I mean, if you can extend your season with archery and you're using it for Turkey season, bear season, if you know, you're blessed to do that hog season, whatever, I mean, there's nothing quite like having the opportunity at the real thing. So, I mean, if you can extend your season and, and practice more year round on actual game, I mean, man, that's, that's a blessing. So don't be afraid to shy away from doing that. Yes. No. Yeah, and, good stuff. Yeah, that was a lot of good comments there too, right? I mean, the running and and then try to shoot because you got your elevated heart rate. There's this big mm-hmm. movement of totally archery challenges that are happening out west, right? That they I've seen yeah. that on social media where they're you have to run so far with a heavy pack and with your bow, right? And then you get to these three D yeah. targets and and then you shoot. So, um, wow. I mean, and that's more geared toward that westerns type style of hunting yes yeah and and there's nothing wrong with we we probably should have something like that in the midwest and out east but you know they think Mm -hmm. well we just sit in deer stands and our right right? but uh (laughs) yeah well you know and i i I kind of feel like it's it this all makes it you know more fun you know you can add these things in and you know it's it's easy to kind of get caught in a in a in a rut you know oh well i gotta you know gotta put my time in and oh yeah well next thing you know i yeah i didn't really put any time in you know the more you can mix it up and have a little fun with it i mean i think it just makes it more doable and more and more likely you're going to stay consistent with it correct yeah yeah i mean how much of hunting is i mean we we boil it all down to that 10 second moment of when we you know hit the release but mm-hmm. it's the process right it's the process yeah. that that uh makes that makes that moment so much more uh enjoyable and yeah. uh just just really um <laughs> you know makes you want to come back so when you can add those those elements into it and yeah you know i, th- I think jeff brought up a great point we should have stuff like that here in, in our part of the country because uh how often do people you know we we have these mind movies right of how this is all going to boil down we're going to be in mm-hmm. our tree stand we'll be we'll be there early we'll we'll be all fastened in and and we'll be totally awake and alert and the buck mm-hmm. will walk down the exact path yeah. right where we predicted and then you're walking on your way in and then there he is 
You know, yeah. and here you are, you got to shoot from the ground. Well, that mm. was the, remember the Cole Young story? He had to jump into a tree because his 195 inch buck was, was yeah. where he wasn't expecting him to be. Yep. And he nearly had to shoot him from, from, uh, the crotch of a, uh, locust tree that he dove into yeah. at the last second. Yeah. To, mm-hmm. You know, you think his heart rate might've been up. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's yeah. a, that's a, that's a really a great point, Jeff, that, that, uh, adding those little elements in, you know, we, we can't really predict how it's going to unfold when the moment comes, but that's a great point. Well, uh, Brandon, you had a, you had a couple other things here that, um, that you had listed in the outline for tonight on practice. So uh, if you want to kind of like do maybe a little rapid fire question here with, with Jeff on some of those, just so that I, you know, I, I'm, I don't, I don't want to not communicate those as well yeah, as you no, had, had them no, uh, thought out. So not at all. I mean, I, Jeff, what, what's your, what's your thought process on like time side of things in terms of, um, you know, frequency and then length of, of practice session, things like that. Do you have any thoughts on that side of things? First generation, um, you're going to have to build to it, right? I can go out. And yeah. Right now, I probably wouldn't do this because it's, it's, I haven't shot as much as I'd like to right now. Um, mm-hmm. Colder winter, non-heated garage, you know, um, 20 below, not something I want to shoot a, my bow in. And yeah. Shoot in it 10 yards <laughs> at, but, um, uh, so it's going to, you're going to have to build up to it. So mm-hmm. maybe you go out and get, uh, you know, like I said, or aim small, miss small. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe just, you, you know, it's, there's been studies that shown just going out and shooting one good arrow every night instead of shooting mm-hmm. 30 bad arrows is more beneficial, right? So right. when you, right. wow. so when you actually, point. so when you actually start feeling like, okay, I'm shooting in a groove and I'm shooting well, and then all of a sudden things start falling apart and you're starting to get frustrated, take the bow in the house and hang it up. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Because you're then you're going to think, well, I have to adjust this because I'm shooting wrong. And then you can really get your bow way, um, you know, by moving the rest. If you guys start playing with those things um, or you're just frustrated. Right. That, yeah. I mean, we all have those moments and we've played sport. I'm sure some of us in sporting careers or even through high school sporting careers. Right. Things just didn't click. And it was, yeah, you yeah. lost the game or whatever. Right. And so that's going to happen in archery as well. So if yeah. it's yeah. not feeling right for the night, hang it up. Cause I'd rather you see, yeah. see me shoot one good arrow instead and then sit there for the next hour and shoot another 80 arrows and those not be worth anything. So, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's where yeah. I kind of look at from a practice perspective. Now I want to build muscle memory and I want to build strength. Right. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to continue to shoot um, bad arrows. Yeah, I, I think that's so awesome what you're saying because you know I, I know those of us who have practiced you know archery equipment for a while you know it is very easy to fall into that you know you're doing well and then you get a bad arrow and you're like man but I really want to finish on a good note and then you know 25 arrows later you're like ah oh, crap. I mean, you know, it's just like, oh man. And then you're, and then you're just, then it's in your mind and then you're like, oh, 
Oh man. Okay. Well, I, man, Oh, maybe I should do it more. Oh no, I'm just gonna hang it up. And then by the time you hang it up, not only are you exhausted, but then you're frustrated and then, yeah. you know, it's in your mind and then, you know, it uh, just, and, and it is, it is a mind game too. I mean, hunting yes. is, it's a, it's a grind on the mind. It's not just physical. It's, it's a mental thing too. So kind of paying attention to that is important. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Now, that's a, that's a really, uh, that's a really good point. Uh, and even, you know, I don't have a ton of hunting experience, obviously, but I, uh, you know, I, I did play a lot of sports growing up and I even coached mm-hmm. for a while. And that's just a, that's just a good coaching, you know, athletic rule of thumb is yeah. when you start practicing through those times of frustration, <clears throat> mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like, you know, on max out day in the weight room, some kid thinks he's going to, you know, hit his max on bench. <laughs> if he misses it the first time he's almost you know 99 percent of the time he's not going to yeah. get it on a second try you know what yeah I mean? and, right and, and, and might end up hurting himself <laughs> right exactly or, or or ruining his ruining his form getting developing yeah. some kind of bad habit you know mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. that's that's just a good principle to yeah to practice with is but i love that I, man that that could be another t-shirt one good arrow is better than 30 bad arrows i like that yeah yeah right yeah <laughs> Well, I mean, it's crazy too, because, you know, even when you think of, you know, form and we've been, you know, kind of talking around this a lot too, um, you know, Jeff, do you have any thoughts about, you know, the whole mantra with, you know, even squeezing a trigger, you know, uh, there's a lot of talk in gun hunting about, man, you don't want to, you don't want to pull the trigger, you know, but there's not as much talk about that in Mm. with, with archery equipment, you know, do you have any thoughts on, on that side of things? Actually, yeah, I, I, and that's where I think I mentioned earlier that I play with, uh, I, I don't use an index release just because, mm-hmm. um, because I want to not just squeeze the trigger on that. It, and, um, your thumb is actually a lot less sensitive than the, yeah. index release, right. So on an ear mm-hmm. release, um, there's some benefit to it that way as well. Um, now yeah. it does change your anchor points a little bit different, but, um, mm-hmm. There, I think there's, it depends on where, for a first generation hunter, you may not hear a lot about the whole squeezing of the trigger. However, if you actually go to a, a very good archery shop and they start mm-hmm. setting you up, they're go, they should be giving you, when they start having you shoot, they should at least be talking to you about the shot motion and you should yeah. be squeezing and pulling through that shot, not just slapping yeah release so mm. I, yes. if you go to a shop and you start looking for bows and you're back there shooting and, and it's your first time handling a bow and they don't give you some of that coaching i think i'd be hot putting it down the road to the next bow shop until i found somebody that was going to spend a little bit of time with me to yeah give sound beginning instruction right and there's yeah. tons of stuff out there in um with social media and podcast and there's tons of, I mean, um, there's a ton of stuff, videos, things like that, that for get out there and research. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another good one. He's in Iowa. Um, just South of the, uh, where's he at? Indianola. Uh, I think is that around that area, John Dudley. Um, that would be, he's got a podcast, knock on archery. Um, okay. Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got different things in there. So 
that would be a good one to find sources. I know he's got the how-to videos on YouTube, the Knock mm-hmm. on TV. Um, we talked about Rod White's uh, Facebook. He's on Instagram too. Those, all those people that you can find the resources for um, that are in the hunting and then the archery industry, uh, it's there, right? So yeah, yep, yeah. We're in a different age than back in 2005, or you know, <laughs> even earlier than that when it was a lot of trial and error. Yeah, yeah, so, right. You, you didn't have a lot of YouTube videos, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. It was a source of information, but the videos really weren't that popular yet. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. That's, well, that's any, any great info. Any, yeah, and I was going to say, you know, one final thing. Any thoughts on, you know, thinking once again, first gen hunter. Um, you know, kind of when you're, when you're drawing back, you know, I think sometimes there can be a propensity to, um, for first, especially people that are new to it, kind of swinging into a target, you know, you're kind of, you know, you're drawing back and you're not necessarily focusing so much on the target as you're drawing back, but then you, you're, you're back and then you're swinging into it. Any thoughts on that side of things and, and stabilization for shot placement and, and, and that, t- that side of things. Yeah, I think for I think everybody gets their own pre-shot routine, right? That they would come mm-hmm. up. With. Yeah. Um, swinging into, I guess, you mean like swing from the left or the right, or are you talking about like from up and down? Um, like, like from the like a left to the right. Yeah, I I think that that doesn't feel good to me. An up and down, yeah, does, right. Um, mm-hmm. Right. You draw because you're going to be a drawing through. And then you're, I mean, you're probably going to be pointing the bow at that animal right now. Yes. If you guys actually see me out in my room here, I'm actually going through yes. to, to talk about yeah. this. But, um, <laughs> I'm going to, if the deer is right in front of me, I'm going to pull straight in front of me. So I don't want to mm-hmm. have a lot of movement that's going to come left to right. I want that movement yes. to be, uh, I'm pulled back. I'm bringing the, because I'm in an elevated position, I'm going to have to, rotate down and so i'm going to come mm-hmm. down onto that animal and into that vital area and then hold right you're never going sure. to yeah. hold still. um your pen's going to naturally float that's just mm-hmm. what it's going to happen now the more you practice the more you get uh more shots the smaller your pen float can be um right you know, just muscle built there for the archery shot process but um, that's a great point. I'm glad you mentioned that, Jeff, because I think a lot of, and this isn't just for archery, I mean, it's for new gun shooters and stuff. They look in, they look at that pin and they see that thing bouncing and, or they look through the scope and they see the crosshairs going around and they feel like something's wrong with them. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but, but your guy has been doing it for a long time and, and you're still saying, Hey, that's, that's normal. It's and, normal. And subconsciously, right, your mind can only do in an, in an archery shot. Your mind can only think on one thing. Subconsciously, you're doing the rest, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, right. I know a lot of guys used to put kiss on the backside of their risers, right? Keep it simple, stupid. You know, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah. so, you know, there's times where I will just, to be honest with you, this is a part. Sometimes part of my shot routine, even like during practice time, is I draw, I come back. And I just keep telling myself to pull through the shot. And I've heard, I've subconsciously, my mind is taking care of where that pin is. It's still floating. Mm-hmm. And subconsciously, right. when that, when as I pull through the shot, 
my mind is going to bring that back to center, even though if I mm-hmm. looks like I my pin floated three foot off the center, it's going to come back to that mm-hmm. subconsciously as I pull through the shot to let it go. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, just working on those type of things in the off season is going to be valuable because like you said, it very, a very simple shot execution process is going to, because if you have a very difficult one under this very stressful moments, you're not going to execute. Right. It has to be completely yeah. simple. Yeah. Right. I, I yep. fall back. I yes. settle my pin here. I look through my peep. And okay. And mm-hmm. then I start pulling through the process, right? Mm-hmm. Seven, yep. you know, maybe that's a seven to eight second, maybe a little bit more, maybe no longer than 10 seconds from the time you yeah. pull back, time you settle your pin in, and time that error releases. Right. Yeah. So yeah. you don't want to make yeah, that complicated. And, right. You know, and yeah. I think that's a I think that's a great point too, Jeff, you know, in 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 trying to encourage guys, you know, get to the point where you're not holding that that arrow for a real long time. I and mean, if you're if if every practice shot you take, you're you're drawing back and you're just holding that that thing until you've got that until you've got no float. I mean not only are you going to exhaust yourself more quickly, but you're also not simulating the reality of, of, you know, what's going to happen when you're in the woods. Mm. So, you know, it, you know, be, you just be willing to take those quicker shots. I mean, settle yourself, get your routine down, but then also know, okay, the reality is this is a five to 10 second situation. Let's make it happen and then get the muscle memory built in for those type of realistic situations. Yeah. And you're still going to have that one off where that, or decides to step behind a tree right yes right so that's gonna happen so then do you learn yes can you hold it longer but that's where the practice comes in right yeah yeah and then you may have to let down and you you know those are other things like you mentioned Mm -hmm. get that shot routine down to 10 seconds if it's over 10 seconds then work on letting down right right how many times do we work on that Right. Yeah. Great point. Great point. Because if that deer yeah. does walk behind a tree, <laughs> I, you want to hold it for five minutes? Because we all know right. it's, 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 it's going to feel like ten, but it was only two. Yeah. yeah right. right. And then you'll That's really good. see you'll really see a pin floating there. <laughs> Oxygen levels are depleted. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's that's a that's a uh, great. That's- point there yeah no one ever thinks of of doing something like that that's that's an excellent Mm -hmm. point well uh you know as we draw to a close here this man there's just so much good stuff here this is a great interview this is uh this is the the first like hard archery uh you know bit of content we've gone after on the show yeah and yeah man I, I almost feel ashamed that it's taken us till episode 49 to actually do that so <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh as we as we wind down here jeff we've been we've been uh talking in the context of both the new and the the uh you know maybe more experienced maybe somebody like me who's got just a couple years of of messing around with bows under under their belt but if you had just like, you know, maybe your, I don't know, maybe your your three golden rules or something, you know, whatever. Just like these these things, you have to get right if you're gonna have, you know, 
a, a level of success that you're going to be able to replicate down the road and build on down the road going and even going into this next season, some things that'll help you doing that. What would you, what would you tell somebody? Good question. Um, you know, I think one is that make sure your equipment's, you know, set up for you. Because right? there's so many times, uh, I think earlier, you know, my the arrow my buddy shoot may not shoot out of my bow, right? Because if I mm-hmm. have a 30 inch draw length and my buddy's only got a 26 draw inch draw length, that arrow ain't gonna fit. So mm-hmm. yeah. So make sure the bow fits you, right? Because that's you've got to be comfortable. Um, if you're uncomfortable shooting it, you're not going to have fun. Um, yeah. So that, I mean, even just for the first gen, a couple years in, right? Um, you know what? There's You don't have to have the latest and greatest equipment. You don't have to mm-hmm. buy brand new. There's nothing wrong with used, right? Um, yep. And just, you don't forget that you have a you know, this is for the love of hunting, right? And so if you don't enjoy it, yeah, there's something wrong. So seek help or try to get, you know, you know, reach out to somebody to make it enjoyable for you again so that you can do what you love. And that's either, you know, chasing whitetails, chasing hogs, turkeys, elk, you know, bear, whatever that you have, mm-hmm. whatever species mm-hmm. you can go If it isn't if you're not enjoying being able to use archery equipment, you know, look into what's, you know, maybe it's not fitting you right, or maybe you're pulling too much weight. So don't try to be a macho man when it comes to archery. Like I talked about earlier, you can, you know, Hmm. 50 pound bow. If you had a max 50 pound bow now, uh, you can shoot a lot of big game, a lot of animals with that. You have the right arrow and broadhead set up. So, yeah, (laughs) right. Yeah. yeah, great point. Uh, that's 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 all excellent information, and you know, <laughs> I wish I would have had this this conversation a couple of years ago because I I think I'd probably be in a lot better spot right now. But you know, there there's some there's there's something to be learned there though too. You know, just like it had to be for me at some point. You just gotta mm-hmm. you, you gotta get past the mental block and pick up a bow and say, you know what, I'm gonna try something new. You know what? Yeah. And uh, as exactly. as 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 Jeff said, get in contact with somebody who does know better than you, and uh, don't be afraid to to grow. There's yeah. There's one more thing I would say though, right? Find a bow that you're comfortable with. I mean, there's so many people that say, well, you have to shoot this brand or you have to shoot that brand. And mm. I've I've shot I've shot Matthews. I've shot Bowtech. I've shot um, you know I. I've shot some other brands um, and there's nothing wrong with any of those brands, but I ultimately mm-hmm. went back to, I, and I'm not going to say what brand I shoot because it, it doesn't matter, but I shoot a specific brand because I am the most comfortable and I feel that I perform the well or the best in with that brand. So there's mm-hmm. no wrong brand. Um, although sometimes as we can, as hunters or archery guys, we can say that and jokingly say to that to each other, but there is, or there isn't, but go shoot some bows, right? Don't, mm-hmm. don't get yeah. hung up on that. You want to buy a Matthews and you shoot it and you're frustrated with it. Go shoot something mm-hmm. else, right? 
Um, mm-hmm. Go shoot a Hoyt, and maybe that fits you better. Maybe the style of it fits you better. So that's the one last thing I want to plug in there is that you don't have to, you know, your buddy shoots Matthews doesn't mean that you have to, right? Right. Um, I, I know Kent, you shoot Hoyt, and that's great. Mm-hmm. It's Kent, right? But yeah. It may not be. It yeah. may not be. It may not be that brand may not be for Brandon and it may not be for Jeff. Right. And then that's okay. Yeah. So yeah, that's a great point. Great because point. Because every bow's got a different feel to it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's an extension of your arm in a lot of ways. I mean, it's 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 gotta be it's gotta be some I mean, the amount of haul, hauling around you do you do with a bow, it better be comfortable. And uh <laughs> and as much practice as you should be doing with it, it's it it's gotta be something that you enjoy having in your hand for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, thank you so much, Jeff, for coming on tonight. Um, real quick here, I know you're on social media. Is do you have like an Instagram or anything that people can can follow along with some um, of your stuff? Social media, yeah, I'm on Facebook, um, and then um, on Instagram as well. Trying to remember, I think it's just it's just Jeff Reed. Okay. On Instagram, and then same thing on Facebook. Um, and I throw a lot of different content out there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's fun to follow you meat and stuff like that too. So, but yeah, um, just, uh, yeah, give me a, give me a look up and, uh, I, and I'll probably, as we get into the summer months, I'll probably start throwing some more 3d content, um, stuff like that, that I, um, as I play around and, get things ready if i do make a 3d shoot or not this year but uh sure can't we may actually actually have to try to plan on a couple here i saw some dates on social media the other day so yeah i'd love to do that with you sometime oh, that'd be cool yeah. yeah and uh i'll uh i'll put those links to jeff's pages on here it is a lot of fun following him and like you said it's not just archery stuff there's farm life there's uh he's kind of a uh kind of what you'd call a pit boss too with his old uh not a trader yeah. though right no no trader <laughs> uh, same process um actually i didn't get it posted but i did a i did a pork butt today Ken. oh so. man delicious so yeah my uh my ham sandwich that I had for supper was all right. My wife made it, so I don't want to criticize it, but wasn't wasn't pork butt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds that sounds amazing. No, uh, it's a lot of fun following Jeff. Make sure you do so. Also, make sure you head over to thehuntfishlife.com. Brandon and uh, his his uh, teammates over there, which is mostly his brothers, but there's a few other people in there too. He's got his cousin going yep. and, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, they've been posting mm-hmm. some shed hunting stuff. I know Brandon was out on the farm yesterday. He got the old red rider out with his, with his kids and, uh, a lot of, a lot of fun stuff to see over there on HFL. And, uh, yep. when you're, when you're done checking them out, be sure you head over to firstgenhunter.com. You may have noticed I finally got around to posting that latest article. So, uh, that is up. It's all, uh, it's a, it's a letter from the heart to all you fellow first gen hunters mm-hmm. out there about, about the, uh, sometimes the hardship of the process that goes along with that. But, but, uh, hopefully, uh, you get a chance to go over there and check that out and, um, everything else though. 
podcast episodes, old YouTube videos. I do have some new YouTube stuff that hopefully in this next weekend I'll be able to get October put together, get that up, and then uh, have, uh, I already, as you know, have November already <laughs> sitting there just waiting to be uh, <laughs> published. But um, no, there's, there's some good stuff up there for you guys. And uh, as always, though, we really appreciate you. Make sure you uh, give us a give us a review if you wouldn't mind taking the time to do so. We really appreciate that, and uh, we just love having you guys in as part of the First Gen family. And uh, thanks for tuning in each week. Can't wait to uh, see you guys interact with us a little bit on social media. And until next time, take care and take someone hunting. <laughs>